welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Um, thank you, guys. Appreciate that. Um, as I've been said, I'm Jason Torrance, and I have been given the privilege and honor of sharing God's word with you this morning. Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles to John 21, that's where we're going to be. And, but first, we're going, to, we're going to pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to come and to be in your presence, God. Thank you for the awesome experience of worshiping you um, and worshiping you as a body, worshiping you together, Lord. I pray that you would be here and awaken us to your presence like even now as I speak, God, I pray that you would give me the words that you want to say and open our hearts, God, so that we are transformed by you, Lord. Let us not walk away from here just the same and go back into the same, you know, mundane life, Lord. I pray that we would um, just receive more of who you are today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So pardon me, I'm going to be looking at my phone a lot. I'm not checking text messages. This is where my notes are. Um, so we've been in this series for the past couple of weeks called What's Next? You know, I was really excited when Eben came up with this idea because Easter is like a big holiday for Christians, you know? It's like the biggest one for us. We celebrate like whole reason why we're here. What's going on here? Ugh, sorry. Um, you know, we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a big Sunday service. Everyone's excited. And then after that, it's like, well, Monday happens. And then Tuesday happens. And then eventually we get back into the regular Sunday. And like, are we excited anymore? What are we supposed to do now? Right? All, like sometimes people come and they experience Jesus very powerfully on Easter. And then they move on from that. And they're kind of like, well, is, that, is the same Jesus still happening right now? Or am I back to like... You know, every other week of the year, Jesus, where it's kind of like, all right, I need to be good. I need to not be bad. And, you know, that's just kind of my life. Um, and so rather than just let the excitement of Easter fade off, he invited us to consider what's next. What's next for Easter? Like, what's next after the resurrection? Where do our lives go from here? What does it mean? And so we've been looking at um, the stories of what happened immediately after Jesus' resurrection and his appearances to the different disciples and all that kind of stuff. Um, we talked about the disciples on the road to Emmaus and they, how they encountered Jesus and how Jesus opened their eyes to see himself in the scriptures and how it made their hearts burn within them. And then last week, Eben talked about a group of disciples who had decided to go fishing. And they went fishing, and they fished the whole night, and they didn't catch anything, right? And they were like, well, I don't know what, to do, what else to do. We went fishing, and now we got nothing. And then Jesus shows up on the shore and invites them to throw their nets on the other side of the boat, which... Seems like kind of like a dumb idea, right? Like the fish aren't just, oh, they're all over here. That's not how water works. But they listen and they throw the, the nets on the other side. And all of a sudden, 153 fish, like large ones, are in the boat. And they recognize, this is miraculous. That, that's Jesus over there. And Peter is so excited, he jumps into the water. He doesn't even wait with the boat. He jumps in the water, swims to shore, and there is Jesus waiting for them with fish of his own that he got from somewhere, and bread, and he invites them to breakfast. And Eben talked about how um, 
just a number of cool things from that about how Jesus is always working, even when it seems like we are catching no fish, even when it seems like we're waiting and we don't know what to do, right? Because the disciples, Jesus had resurrected, he'd appeared to them, and then he was gone. And they're like, well, all right, now what? But Jesus had a plan for them, right? He had things that he was doing behind the scenes that they had no idea about. And then also how Jesus invites us into his presence, right? He doesn't just stand on the shoreline and say, all right, throw your fish, okay, bye, poof, back to heaven. He stayed there. He invited them to come see him, to come be with him, to eat breakfast with him. And he provided for their needs. He didn't even take their fish. He already had his own that he was providing. He doesn't need our work, but he invites us in to share in the work with him. And so today, we're going to look at the rest of that story, right? That encounter, Evan kind of left off with a to be continued. They ate ate breakfast. What's next? So that's where we're going today. Um, We're going to look at John 21, 15 through 22. Uh, If you don't have Bibles, there are also some Bibles on the side of either side of the stage. And those are our gift to you. You can keep those. um, Or you can swipe on your app or whatever Bible you brought. So brace yourselves. Perk up your ears, because this is the only part of the sermon I can guarantee is going to be actually correct. Because <laughs> it's God's word. Um, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So we're looking at this passage and trying to figure out what's next, right? What do the disciples need? What do we need after the resurrection? And so here's Peter. He was there for Jesus' death. He's there for the resurrection. What does Jesus feel like he needs next to move on to the next stage of his life? Um, What do we need after we have understood and believed that Jesus died to purchase forgiveness for us and that he raised his life to give us freedom to follow him? What do we need after the gospel? So once we understand and believe the gospel, I think what this text is showing, that once we finally get the gospel, what we need is the gospel. We never really graduate from needing the gospel, right? There's not like a checkbox you can mark off like, all right, I heard the sermon, I understand mentally, I prayed the prayer, check, put that in the back pocket like where all my history of presidents and all that kind of stuff goes. I'm never going to use that again. Um, That's not what the gospel is like. The gospel needs to continually breathe into our lives. 
it, so that our understanding of God, ourselves, and everything in the world is constantly transformed into something more true and more beautiful and more powerful than the way that we were seeing it before. Um, we need the gospel to be the lens through which we see all of the things that happen in life. But what do I mean when I say the gospel, right? Because there's a whole bunch of stuff that can be wrapped up in there. So for the purposes of the rest of this talk, when I say the gospel, what I mean is the truth that Jesus has met you in the places of your deepest and darkest brokenness and failure, and that he has pulled you up out of there in his love, and he has set you on a path of life and purpose and glory. So the three aspects of there is that Jesus has met you in your brokenness, second part is that he pulls you out of your brokenness, and the third part is that he set you on a new path of life and glory and purpose. And that's what we see Jesus doing with Peter here. Jesus goes right into Peter's brokenness, into the darkness of his biggest failure, and then he recommissions him. He restores him to life and purpose. So first we're going to talk about Peter's and give, get a little backstory to kind of give context for what's happening here. So Peter was probably, arguably, Jesus' best friend, right? When Jesus was on the earth, there were a bunch of disciples that were following him around. But there were 12 that were called his apostles. And these guys were the ones who were like with Jesus all the time. They slept with him. They ate with him. They walked with him everywhere he went. They got access to all of his you know, really good teachings. But then there were three in amongst those 12. There's Peter, James, and John. And those guys had like extra special VIP access. Like if Jesus was like, hey, I only need a couple people here. It was always Peter, James, and John. They got to see miracles that other people didn't see. They got to see Jesus transfigured into glory before he even had died and resurrected. So they got to see Jesus' real face. Um, so these guys, Peter, James, and John, were all together always with Jesus. And if you notice the order that I said that, Peter, James, and John, that's the way they always appear in the Bible. Peter always gets the top billing. He was a man of action and a natural leader. He was often the first one to speak, and sometimes this meant he, like, got praise, like, because he said something good. And sometimes he put his foot in his mouth and he got, you know, rebuked, like, hey, Peter, calm down. Um, but for, for most intensive purposes, he was the mouthpiece for the rest of the disciples. They followed his lead. Like, even this fishing excursion that they were on was because Peter was like, well, I'm going fishing. And the other guy's like, that's a good idea, Peter. Okay, we're going to go too. Um, and then so in Luke 22... Jesus is warning his disciples about what's going to happen, you know, is before his death, and he's warning them that he's going to get arrested, he's going to die, and preparing them for the temptations that they're going to face. And he pulls Peter aside, personally, specifically, and says, hey, Simon, Satan has asked for you guys to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail, and that when you return, you'll strengthen your brothers. So Jesus had given Peter a special assignment, right? He had a special prayer for Peter that when Peter would come back, you know, and be restored, that Peter would be the one to strengthen his brothers. And all the disciples got indignant. They're like, Jesus was telling them that they're going to run away and leave him at his hour of greatest need. And they're like, no, definitely not. You don't know us, Jesus. And Peter said, even if all these other guys run away, I'm willing to die for you. All right. It's just you and me, Jesus. We got this. I don't know if you've ever had a disagreement with Jesus, but if you have, then you probably know what happened, right? They were wrong. Jesus was right. 
Jesus got arrested, they all scatter, and Peter is given not one, not two, but three different opportunities to identify as a follower of Jesus, to identify himself as Jesus' friend. And three times he says, Jesus? I, I don't know, Jesus, are you sure? He says he doesn't even know the guy. And Jesus told him this was going to happen. He said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And the third time Peter does this, the rooster crows. And at that moment, Jesus is being led from the uh, trial that he was on. His face is bloodied. He's been beaten. He's been spit on. And he and Peter make eye contact when that happens. Can you imagine that shame? Can you imagine that hit to Peter's heart when he says, I don't know this Jesus. And then he sees Jesus come out. He knows that Jesus has heard him. He knows that they know what happened. That's... That's a lot of grief, a lot of shame. Peter was possibly realizing for the first time that he's not the man that he thought he was, right? Um, oh, I gotta catch my stuff. And he sees who he really is and who he really isn't. And so he goes away and he weeps bitterly. And then that's when, you know, all the, the exciting stuff of the gospel happens, right? Jesus dies for our sins. He died the death that we needed to die. He lived after living the perfect life that we could not live. He died the death that we should have died. And he was raised to the life that we will have in the future. Um, and then some women come and they discover Jesus' empty tomb and they bring the disciples. So they discover the empty tomb and then Jesus starts popping up all over the place. He shows up to Mary and they have an interaction. He shows up to these disciples on their way to Emmaus and they have an interaction. And in between this, he shows up to Peter by himself. When the disciples on the road to Emmaus, come, they turn around seven miles and they come back. They find everyone saying, hey, Jesus is alive. He's appeared to Peter. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that Jesus appeared to Peter before he appeared to the rest of the disciples. So there's this kind of like secret meeting that we don't have a lot of information about in between all these other resurrections. And why am I going on about this? Um, it's a minor detail, but I want you to brace yourselves for a bit of my speculation, okay? So take this with a grain of salt. This is not like the gospel truth. So throw it out if, if you know, it doesn't resonate with you. But I was thinking about it, and I think that this interaction, this private, unrecorded interaction with Jesus is where Jesus and Peter have the really painful, awkward necessary conversation about what happened before, about Peter denying him three times and about, you know, Jesus forgiving him and still embracing him, right? I don't think that's a conversation that could wait because the kind of grief and the shame that Peter was, would carry from that would prevent him from being able to receive Jesus' love. I don't know if you've ever sinned against Jesus or sinned, like, done something bad to someone, but it kind of puts a wall up between your relationship, right? And if this wall was still up, then Peter and Jesus would not be able to have the same kinds of interactions that they have later on. Um, and so if that's true, that means that the conversation that we were reading today, where Jesus you know, asked him three times, do you love me? And that's a kind of a clear callback to Peter's denial. This is not the first time Peter has dealt with this. This is like his second time getting the gospel applied to this truth in his life. Um, now it's my speculation, but there are some clues in the text that something like this might have happened. Um, one is that in this story that we have, at no point does Jesus bring up Peter's sin directly. Peter also does not bring it up. He doesn't confess. He doesn't repent. And that's not Jesus' attitude towards sin. Jesus doesn't dance around sin like, oh, 
you know, I'm not going to mention this awkward thing between us. He confronts it directly, right? He even calls people broods of vipers and hypocrites because he wants to cut down any delusion that would keep us from true relationship with him. And there was another time earlier where Peter, uh, where Jesus was talking about his death and Peter pulls him aside and it's like, hey, Jesus, that's kind of depressing. Don't talk about death. Peter pulls him aside privately and Jesus rebukes him openly in front of everyone and says, get behind me, Satan. Like, see, Jesus is not afraid to confront sin. Um, and so the fact that that is not happening here makes me think, well, why is he not addressing it? Perhaps it's been addressed already. Another aspect is that Peter does not show any of the kinds of hesitation that you would expect from someone who has grievously offended someone and is now back in their presence without ever having talked about it, right? Have you ever, like, said something really bad or nasty about someone and then had no, you see them hearing you or you've done something to offend them? Now imagine that happening and then going to breakfast with that person and a bunch of your friends. Would you be excited to sit next to them? Would you be excited to see them at all? But when Jesus sees Peter, or not Peter, flip that around. When Peter sees Jesus, he can't even wait in the boat like a normal person. He's like an excited puppy. He's like, oh, it's Jesus. Oh, my goodness. And he jumps in the water and he swims over there. And Jesus is like, hey, why don't you bring some of that fish? He's like, okay, Jesus, I got it. I got it. And he runs back and he drags the fish back. Right? He's like an overexcited puppy. And he's exhibiting all the signs of someone who's been forgiven much and who loves much as a result. Right? Um, so... Speculation off. <laughs> even if they didn't talk about, even if that was not true, this still would not be Peter's first interaction with the gospel, right? Because ever since before Jesus' death, he's been teaching them, hey, this is what my death and my resurrection and my life has all meant. And then he's already met them a couple of times and explained more what the scriptures say about him and everything, right? And so, <laughs> sorry. And so Peter's already understood and believed that Jesus died for his sins and he knows that he's clean in God's sight. But he's still not done with the gospel. Because when God forgives, he's after more than just a blank slate. Right? He's after more than just like, oh, God's not mad at me anymore. God's after reconciliation. He's after restoration. He's after not just God's not mad at me, but God loves me. And he likes me. And he's got a plan for me. He wants to be with me. And so Peter's been forgiven. And yes, and Peter's excited, right? He's re- he understood forgiveness. But there's still a piece missing. What about his purpose? What about his destiny? There's still something holding him back from what Jesus had called him to, right? Jesus said, had prayed that when he returned, he would strengthen his brothers. And that hasn't really happened yet. So, Jesus takes him back into the place of his brokenness and failure. He lovingly pulls him up out of the muck, and then he sets him on the path of life and hope and purpose. Just like Peter had denied Jesus three times, three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? I thought that was an interesting question, because he doesn't ask if Peter's smart or if Peter is holy He doesn't ask if Peter is a hard worker or if he prays a lot or if he reads his Bible. He simply asks, do you love me? It's a simple question, but it's also the most important question, right? Like Jesus said, it's the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and body and soul. Because if you love Jesus, if that's your focus, then all the other do's and don'ts, they're going to fall into place. 
But if you don't love Jesus, you can work your hardest. You could be the best human to everyone else's eyes. But if you don't love Jesus, it doesn't really mean anything. It's, it's gained you nothing. Right? And so, Jesus wants the real you. He wants your heart. He wants the real you because he loves the real you. And if you say you love Jesus, then that means you want to, you want to be with him, right? You spend time with him. Because if I said that I love my wife, and she's here, she's available to me, but I never talk with her, I never listen to her, I never spend time with her, I'm always on the other side of the room, then am I really loving her? Am I really like living out the actions of, like, that show that I'm loving her? Right? And even if I don't feel like the gushy emotional love, I can do the things that I know would help me be with her. I can do the things that I know and make her happy. That's what loving is, right? Um, what's going on here? So it's an important thing to consider because Jesus is asking the same question to us Do you love him? And don't worry about. But you know, notice it's just, do you love him, like question mark. It's not, do you love him well? Do you love him enough? Do you love him enough as, or as much as like Saint so-and-so over there? That's not what Jesus is asking. He's asking purely and plainly, do you love him? Because even if you check every box on the Christian to-do list, you're never loving Jesus perfectly enough, right? You're never going to get to that point where you're like, yeah, I do love Jesus enough. I have passed, and even if you are the worst Christian in the world in your eyes, if you do everything wrong and you've sinned so horribly that you can't even mention your sin because of the shame it brings you, that has not disqualified you from, from Jesus, right? That's the entire point of the gospel. We never move beyond needing Jesus to bridge the gap between his holy perfection and our imperfection. And the gospel is all about God loving you so much that he would dive into your darkness, into your mess, whether your mess looks pretty on the outside, whether your mess looks ugly on the outside and inside. He dives into that mess, pulls you up out of it, and sets you on the path of life and purpose. So the question is not, do you love him enough? It's, do you love him? Right? Are you trying? And Peter's answer here is great. I love it. Each time, Peter is both humble and confident. At the same time. He doesn't say, oh yeah, Jesus, of course I love you. Didn't you see how I jumped in the boat or jumped off the boat? He doesn't point to his own actions. He doesn't point to his own even thoughts or judgment of himself. He's like, I feel like I love you, Jesus. Hold on, let me check. Yeah, I love you. He, falls, he throws himself fully on Jesus' perspective. He says, yes, Lord, you know. You know I love you. You see my heart. You're asking me. I'm asking you, do I love you? So each time he falls fully in Jesus' perspective, he says, you know. I'm not going to trust myself or look to myself. I'm going to trust you. You know that I love you. And so then why is Jesus asking this question? Because he doesn't need the information. He's teaching Peter a truth about his own heart. Peter needs to reaffirm his love for Jesus for Peter's own sake. To entrust himself to God's loving and merciful judgment. The third time Jesus asks, do you love me? It hits Peter in the heart and it grieves him, right? Because he's like, oh, the third time. Oh, not the third time. I remember what I did. I remember that grief and that shame. And it would be easy for him to fall into self-condemnation like, oh, no, God, I don't. You're right. I remember what happened. Clearly, I don't love you. 
But again, he does not fall into self-condemnation. He humbly but confidently throws himself on Jesus. He says, Lord, you know all things. Everything that happened, everything that will happen, you know that I love you. So whose voice do you listen to when the darkness surrounds you? When I fail, when I have fallen into sin, especially when it's sin that I've struggled with for so long, there's a temptation to be like, I don't, do I love Jesus? Am I a Christian? What's happening? Why can't I get this right? And then Satan is there accusing you like, no, you're not a Christian, bro. Look at that. He did it again. You think God wants you? Ugh. But whose voice are you going to listen to? You need to throw yourself on Jesus' mercy, right? And say, Jesus, you know. You know what's going on here. I don't know what's going on here. But I know you know, and I know you're going to hold me. You're going to hold me true. Because you have come down to meet me in this mess. And you are the one who pulled me up. I didn't pull myself up. That's not my strength. You're the one who's given me purpose. It's not my, my, it's not my idea. So I'm going to trust you that you're going to get me there. So Jesus brings Peter's failures to my, failure to mind and asks Peter these questions because trusting God's opinion of you instead of your own is the path to true freedom, right? Because what does the Bible say? The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just. He'll forgive you all your sins and he'll purify you from all unrighteousness. And knowing the conditions of our heart, the Bible says that when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So whose opinion are you going to trust? So going back to the story, each time Jesus is inviting Peter into his failure so that he can heal it and so that he can move Peter from failure into life and purpose. Each time Peter says that he loves Jesus, Jesus' response is some variant of, feed my sheep, his sheep being the church, his people. And this is not a small request. Jesus has said he loves his sheep so much that he's willing to die for his sheep. And he didn't just say it, he did. He literally died for his sheep, right? And so these, we sheep are very close to Jesus' heart. And he's entrusting us to Peter. He said, hey, feed my sheep. He's giving mission and purpose to the guy who abandoned his post. Or he's giving him a maximum security clearance and saying, hey, I've got a mission for you. Do you love me? Then move into your mission. Um, even though Peter had failed greatly, he was not out of the game. He was not off the team. Jesus trusts that Peter will be trustworthy because Jesus has made him trustworthy. And he has that same kind of trust for you too. Do you know that God believes in you? I guess, yeah, we believe in God, but God believes in you. He trusts that he's given you everything you need to be his ambassador on the earth, to be his representative, to take care of whatever flock he has put in your life. It doesn't matter how badly or how often you failed, because Jesus has pulled you up, and he'll pull you up each time. It doesn't matter how small or insignificant that you think you are, like, oh, I'm just a fill-in-the-blank. You have great purpose because God himself has placed his own beloved sheep in your care. Whether you're a pastor or a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer or a banker or a stay-at-home mom or a single person or a student or a married person or whatever, God has a special assignment that he's made just for you. And he's put sheep in your life that are your sheep to take care of. He's given you a mission, and it's not a small mission because it's coming from the chief himself. 
And so being loved by and loving Jesus should result in that love moving outward to care for the people he's put in your path. So when Jesus tells Peter to feed his sheep, he's reinstating confidence in Peter. Like, Peter, I trust you. You can do this. Move into your mission. After the third time Jesus and Peter have this do you love me, feed my sheep exchange, Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die. He tells Peter that he's going to be led to a place where he does not want to go, and he's going to stretch out, someone's going to stretch out his hands, and he's going to die, which is basically, you know, a crucifixion. And it says that this is the kind of death he's going to glorify God. And most of the time when I read this, I think, this is kind of a Debbie Downer moment, Jesus. Like, hey, Peter, we just got over the huge sin. Remember, you've got purpose. Yay, the gospel. Too bad you're going to die a horrible death later. But I think that there's more going on here. When I was reading this year, I kind of got a different perspective on this stuff. So I thought, I used to think that Jesus or Peter's denial and abandonment of Jesus was like the basic fear of death, right? That he was all talk when he was like, yeah, Jesus, I'll die for you. Oh, whoa, swords, never mind. But I think that there's something else going on here because when I was reading it this year, it struck me that the first thing Peter does is not run. Like when the people come with their clubs and their torches to arrest Jesus, Peter takes out his sword. He's like, all right, here we go. And he chops off a guy's ear. Which to me is not like a cowardly, I don't want to die moment. It's like a brave heart, freedom kind of moment, right? He's like, I'm going to go out. All right, Jesus, let's go. We'll take down as many of them as we can. I'm ready to die. And then Jesus is like, no, no, no. Whoa, chill. Heals the ear. And is like, I'm, I'm going to go die. That's the plan. And that's when everyone panics. That's when everyone's like, whoa, whoa. And they, they run. It's like they're saying, or it's like Peter specifically was saying, I'm willing to die for you in a blaze of glory. But I'm not willing to die for you in meekness and submission. Have you guys ever done that to Jesus? <laughs> Said, yeah, Jesus, your will be done. As long as it's pretty close to and or exactly my will. Like, I want to do your will as long as your will is this way, not that way. That way is awkward or uncomfortable or too sacrificial or too painful or et cetera, et cetera. This is, this is your will. I know you love me to love people. This is how I'm going to love people, okay? We're good? Okay, we're good. Right? So Peter, part of Peter's shame was the realization that, man, I thought I was sold out for Jesus, but I'm not. I want to call my own shots. I want to do things my way, not his way. And I know better than this. I'm not the man I thought I was going to be. Or I'm not the man that I thought I was. Maybe I never will be. Right? And so here Jesus meets Peter again and lifts him up to hope. And telling Peter that he's going to die and how he's going to die, Jesus is saying, hey, remember when you, how you wanted to die for me that one time and you completely failed? You completely chose yourself over me and my glory? Well... When you're old, you're going to be faced with that same situation. But you're going to succeed this time. You are going to die for me, for my glory. You are going to bring glory to my name. Essentially, he's saying, you were not the man that you hoped you were, but you will be. Far from being a Debbie Downer moment, it's a moment of great hope, right? It's a promise of great hope. God's plan for you may not be sunshine and roses, Right? He might need to lead you through some hard times. But through it, you'll become the best version of yourself. 
The you that you were always meant to be. The you that deep down you really want to be, that's where God is leading you. That's the purpose he's given you. That's why the things that are, are happening in your life are happening in your life. And there's more good news. You don't have to do this on your own. Jesus doesn't say, all right, Peter, this is your mission. Bye. He says, follow me. Jesus is going ahead of Peter. He's promised, like, hey, you don't need to even look like, oh, where where am I supposed to go? Okay, there's a turn here somewhere. It's like, no, I just look at Jesus. Jesus turn. Okay, I'm going to turn. Have you ever followed someone uh, to a destination? like driving behind them and then tried to get back by yourself later on. It's like, oh, I don't actually, I wasn't paying attention at all. I just saw they turned and I turned. I saw they stopped and I stopped. Right? That's what Jesus is inviting us into. He said, hey, follow me. I'll get you to where you need to go. Don't worry about like, oh, am I supposed to go this opportunity or that opportunity? You just focus on Jesus, focus on loving Jesus and do the next thing he puts in front of you, right? Consider whatever he puts on your plate and just keep your eyes on him. Um, whether you feel like you are in the middle of the best season of your life, or if you're in the middle of, like, of the, just the barren wasteland of the mundane, God's got a plan for you that he's working right now. Right? Nothing that's happening to you is being wasted. Um, so keep loving Jesus, keep following him, because he knows what he's doing, and no plan of his can be thwarted. He's going to get you to where you need to be. But it's tempting to look around at other people and see where they're going. And that's exactly what Peter does, right? So Jesus tells Peter what he's gonna, what's going to happen to him, how he's going to die. And Peter doesn't even have the chance, take the chance to like really let that sink in. He sees John following him and he's like, oh, death, okay, that's good, I guess. What about this guy? Is he, he going to die some horrible, gruesome death too to glorify you? Or does he get the cushy ministry where he gets to live awesome life and be comfortable and then glorify you that way? Jesus doesn't even entertain the question. He goes, <laughs> what's that to you? You might live forever. I want you to follow me. Um, when we, Satan, it's, it's Satan's job. It's his desire to get us looking around at what other people's paths are. Because when we do that, we can waste our wait time. We can waste our journey. Um, we can waste our destiny because we're, we're constantly looking at other people. What are they doing? Why do they get that? Why didn't I get that? Why can't I have a kid? Why can't I get married? Why don't I have that job? Why don't I have money? I want to take a vacation. Why can't I? Right? We keep getting into the why, why, whys, and we miss or ignore what God's doing in us. But the good news about Jesus having a plan for you is that Jesus has a plan for you, specifically. When Jesus entered into your brokenness, He didn't enter into some generic brokenness. He entered into your specific personal brokenness. When he pulled you up out of there and set you on a path, it wasn't like, you know, okay, you've got Christian track A, B, and C. He was like, no, no, no. You've got Christian track for you, for you specifically. And his plan is tailor-made for exactly what you need to become exactly who you need to be. Um, hold on one second, I gotta check something. How am I doing on time? It went off, I didn't even see this. Sorry, guys. Anyways, I'm at the end, so it's, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Um, can the worship team come up for a second?
and start playing in the background. We're going to move on into response time here. So I was praying about, you know, how God would want us to respond this morning. And one of the things that I felt like I heard was that God was saying that people need to hear his voice. There might be some of you who want to have that personal conversation with Jesus, to walk with him and hear him ask you, hey, do you love me? So that you guys can have this conversation of like, yeah, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. Um, People need to hear Jesus say, hey, I've given you life and purpose. I've seen your brokenness. I've entered into your mess. I've pulled you up out of there. And let's get going. Let's get going with with real life now. Maybe it's the first time that you've responded to the invitation to relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's the hundredth time, right? The whole point of this is that we never move beyond the gospel. Like, I was studying this this week, and I was just like, oh, yeah, this is a gospel situation. Like, things were coming up in my life, and I kept getting hit by, I need to stop judging myself, good or bad, and I need to entrust myself to Jesus' judgment. I need to hear him and follow him and look at him into the life and purpose that he's called me to. So I invite you guys to, you know, take a, time, take a moment in your seats or you can come to the front and have someone pray with you and just have a conversation with God because he's here, right? It's not like we have to like go find him somewhere. Jesus is always right here with us. He comes to us. He meets us where we are. It doesn't matter if you feel great and you're like, oh, I don't need this stuff. My life is awesome. Or if you feel like, man, you know, my life is awful. I really need help right now. Or if you feel like, hey, my life is just my life. I don't really feel strongly about it at all. Jesus is doing something in you right now. So we're going to take some time. We're going to pray.